Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in Natural Methods Healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California. We're here each Wednesday at this time for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Health Matters. Thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Uh, Preparing for today's program <clears throat> has been a real challenge for me because the, the author of our text, uh, Pilar Jennings, a, a psychoanalyst, has written a truly beautiful book called Heal a Wounded Heart. And what she's telling us, is what she's got going there, there's a, a, a story of how a psychoanalyst had a particularly difficult case with a six-year-old girl who was traumatized by loss and she stopped speaking, and she and so Pilar uh, was felt the, the 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 her training didn't take her far enough, and so she had to find a way of coming to terms with childhood trauma. And one of the ways she did was to work with a Tibetan Buddhist monk. And uh, there's a lot to say about a lot of this that is uh, beautiful. <coughs> not only beautiful in a poetic sense, but is so uh, exploratory in a way that a lot of times psychology isn't. <clears throat> and so what I hope we come away from today is for people who are at all interested in the care of the soul and the care of, of individuals, whether they're children or not, there's a, a, a take on the process of, of this care that uh, Dr. Jennings, Pilar Jennings, gives us that is, I think, truly remarkable and is a very successful expression of both the training of psychotherapy as well as the training of a Buddhist student, which I am also myself. So <clears throat> I'm I intend to struggle with her because I, I mean there's a kind of a casual way of talking about these things, and then there's a, a somewhat uh, more exploratory way that I'm hoping we'll be able to to work together on. And I've never spoken to her, so we'll just have to struggle it out and see if we can make it happen. Um, and I will also try to create a space if there's people who want to have a visit with her or ask her a question. She might be an interesting person to ask a question of, is my opinion. So, um, let's see. The uh, She'll be with us in just a minute here. Uh, as you may, many of you may know, we've, we've had to say goodbye to our friend uh, Teresa Russo, who for for a long time was with us during the Dreamweaver series on Health Matters Radio, and she passed a few a couple weeks ago, and we we already miss her, and I know many people who love her show and love her her gift of making the magic of the dream world real, and making the magic of the the primal world, the primal world of the native peoples real. She gave us a lot of gifts in that area. And so many gifts were lost when Teresa left us, but she didn't leave us, she didn't leave us 
without what she had given us. So we're we've been empowered. We've 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 get we've we've got our lesson. We've we've got our lesson plan. So uh, again, farewell to Teresa, and uh, to thank her for being part of this program for all the years she was. And we're really honored to to have had her. Um, <clears throat> Speaking, looking ahead, uh, the next week, uh, or no, this is the Sonoma Valley Hospital. Uh, Eric Lee will be leading a Sonoma Valley Hospital information session called Conversations with a Doctor Discussing New Treatment in Pain Management. This is going to be January the 18th at the hospital's basement, basement conference room between 1230 and 1.30. The number of attendees will be limited, so you uh, need to make a reservation, RSVP, to um, Celia De La Rosa at 707-935-5257. Again, Conversations with a Doctor is a new informational series sponsored by Sonoma Valley Hospital, providing an opportunity for community members to meet physicians associated with the hospital and learn more about recent develops in their area of expertise. Again, this is the pain management seminar called New Treatments in Pain Management. This is the 18th of January, Thursday, so that's a week from today. Uh, that's going to be at the basement conference room at the hospital between 1230 and 1.30, and here's our guest. Welcome to Health Matters. Thank you for joining us. Is this Ned? It is indeed. Hi, Ned. It's Pilar. Well, all right, Pilar. You certainly have given me a lot of work over the last week. I'll tell you, I've, I've been, I've been <laughs> nestled up with your, your, your really delicious book. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, well, sort of, because the thing is, is that I'm a, a, a myself a student of Suzuki Roshi, a Buddhist student as well. Uh-huh. I've, I've also took a lot of psychological uh, training and worked with Gestalt work for uh, many years ago and was a Esalen oh. workshop leader and oh, so wow, the, the world that you talk about is so it's such like an old shoe to me in a way and yet <laughs> what what you've done and the way you speak about it is um, is a way that I think uh, I mean I've read I mean I've been in the field a long time and I've read a lot of different things and I think you hold the topic in a way that that is invites the uh, a, a person to go deeper in terms of the inquiry, uh, both from the sort of Buddhist perspective, but also from the exploratory, curiosity-seeking sort of psychological side. So, and that's always been for those of us who are, who paid attention to to Buddhism as a as a not a psychology adjunct, but a psych, psychology fellow traveler, if you will. Mm-hmm. For those of us who've walked that path, um, it's I'm I'm so honored to see somebody take it as seriously as you do and embrace it in such a thoroughgoing way as you do, and and then also put that out of the public. So I I really do celebrate what what you've done here. Thank you, thank you, Ned. I really appreciate that. Right. Yeah, I'm so glad to know how I'm how I'm experiencing these traditions is resonant. Right. It sounds like you're well, feeling it, some resonance. You're absolutely, and and in yeah. in 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 the the quality of the inquiry that you're making, and and the mm-hmm. the, in, the investment mm-hmm. that you're making. So, so Pilar, let's start with for our listeners who I didn't get a chance to. Usually, I give them a synopsis of the book, but I didn't get a chance to do that. So, if you'd be kind enough to just to give us a, a 
you know, kind of the elevator synopsis, if you would, and then let's. And I, I got to kind of get your permission, as I told Beth uh, Grossman that I was going to ask you to read a bunch because I think your words carry so much of the message that I hope we can share with our audience. And so, sort of shooting the breeze about the topic is less of interest to me sure. personally than the the opportunity to hear in your own words the inquiries that you were making, the the struggles and decisions and choices you had to make. I, I think that you. You make that very lively and explicit, and so I'm, I've got lots of pages all bent over, and so I'm hoping that it'll, it, it may be a little bit disjointed. I, I didn't get a chance to try to, to weave the whole thing into a beautiful sort of collective narrative, but I'll, we'll, so if, I hope you'll sort of tolerate me. So. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. I'm so, ready. Okay, so let's, let's start with the synopsis. What is this book about, Pilar? The, the book is a story, uh, having, having been a grad student for many, many years, and then also having been in the traditions, Buddhist and the analytic tradition for many years, and read Endless Theory, I really felt called to, to write a story, um, a narrative about my experience of these traditions. And so the, the book is the story of my entry into the psychoanalytic field as, as a young clinician uh, and as a clinician who had been practicing the Buddha Dharma for many years before that time and how I, I intuitively and spontaneously was bringing my spiritual practice and teachings into to the clinical space with my first patient. Okay. Um, so that's that's the gist. Okay. And yeah. of course you sort of focus on one one patient. So maybe mm-hmm. let's talk about her for a little bit and kind of what made her special and unique and why does she figure so prominently in this in this tale? Well, I, I think I, I felt such a strong identification with her. Uh, I was also an extremely introverted child. I was a kid who was easily overstimulated, which is in part why I, I loved meditation as a kid. <laughs> right. Because it was just such a relief to, to be with people without the pressure to, to fill the space, to be performative, I, I felt very drawn to quiet places, right. and this was a child that uh, barely spoke. She had the capacity to talk, but she did not speak freely at all with most adults, and, and so immediately I think I, I just felt uh, very compelled by her experience, but also very identified. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were mostly quiet together for for most of our our first couple of years of the treatment. And and of course, for a lot of our listeners, the idea that you're doing psychotherapy quietly is, <laughs> I mean, it's there there are people, many people, who might scratch their head and say, what what could that possibly be? And yet, and yet, and yet in your book, you tell us exactly what it is in, in, in many different ways, at least from your perspective. So let's, let's go to XV1, which obviously means uh, 11, in, in, in introduction. And if you'd start with through at the, 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 bo- the bottom um, paragraph and go to the, let's see how, to, how far did I want you to go. Um, Go through to the recovering from 
the the second end of the second paragraph on the next page. Sure. So through them both, over the course of our year together, I learned something. Is that where you'd like me to yep, start? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I learned something I had only intuited before, that this common ground of vulnerability is what makes childhood both magical and vexing. It's also what makes us able to know ourselves. Like an Alice in Wonderland portal, our ability in childhood to let life press in upon us as exquisitely and intensely as we do is why we end up caring about people, including ourselves. Through my work with Martine, my friendship with Lama Pema, and our encounters in my tiny therapeutic office, I began to appreciate anew the need to reclaim the very part of us that sets us up for the worst pain. I learned that given the right circumstances, children are willing to and even interested in re-experiencing pain that needs to be better understood, and that such circumstances include someone with a spacious mind able to join them, someone willing to look back and re-experience their own losses and sorrows, especially those carefully sequestered long ago. Whether you're a therapist, a Buddhist, a parent, or someone navigating the ripple effects of your own childhood suffering, I offer you the story as a way into those very moments in your own history that seem most fraught with intractable pain. I've learned through Martine and Lama Pema that no early trauma defies our capacity for healing, and that if we can find our way back to the tender part of us most affected by suffering, eased in by an upwelling of curiosity and compassion, we can find our way through to a new psychological outcome. This exquisite sensitivity is our childhood gift, even as it sets us up for psychological experience we may spend the rest of our lives recovering from. Now, for me, in those few words, uh, is just such a giant world of such a giant universe of 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 both revelatory principle but also um places where you're to me you're carving a uh, you're carving a world of exploration and in 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 discovery that is quite unusual and quite sort of esoteric but but the way you present it it doesn't seem so esoteric I mean it, it just seems like it's good sense so I, I, I there's so many parts of that that I could I could I could write a dissertation on four or five of the major ideas in that in, in that group of words so is there anything more to say about that that did you you said so much but is there any way of saying some of that more simply so our listeners might be able to grasp some of what you've said that is really kind of high esoteric thought, but is there any simpler way of saying any part of that that might be more available to our to our to, to our our commoner ears? Sure, sure, I can try. I I think I think that so many of us get hurt, and and many people quite badly hurt in childhood because we're we're still very porous, right? We're still quite vulnerable when we're children and we're more inclined uh, to, to expose multiple parts of who we are, right? We need people so intensely and so the, the likelihood of getting hurt 
because of our vulnerability is great. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an understandable protective defense as we age to try to shut down the very part that set us up to suffer. Mm-hmm. And as a as a therapist, I deeply appreciate, and as a person, I deeply appreciate the the need for that protection. The problem is, <laughs> it's through those parts, right? Those tender parts that we're able to be genuinely connected to Mm -hmm. ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. And so when we shut down those parts, it's often very deadening. We we pay a big price. Right. Well, thank you. That's that's exactly what I hoped you'd do. And and because I think the 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 challenge of at least in in my work in, in the medicine way is that Part of what we we encounter is it are the sort of dead spaces that people have in their life form in their life field, if you will. And so, part of what we try to do is move through some of that. And I so appreciate that you're taking the position that we can go back and and actually, if we have a spacious and open mind, we can actually reown some of these things. And which is the many of the same principles that Gestalt. Uh, psychology uses in terms of reowning the sort of disowned parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. and, I, and and my own experience of working in psychology has been that it, it, it's an, there's an, a tremendous, amazing ability, uh, amazing potential for energy integration from some of those places that have been have been disowned, and yeah. so I I'm a, just a big a big fan of the opportunity of that, and so I, I I particularly picked up on on your the way you kind of got to that, so. Continuing to move down the road here, my next one is on uh, X1X, which it means obviously nine, or it means 19. Mm-hmm. It says, just it, this is a short one, it, Buddhism, it's in the first paragraph, Buddhism mm-hmm. points to the... Yeah, the shared heart. ...of our humanity. Western psychology, in contrast... Encourage us is to land what is un- what has been uniquely ours, our suffering. Let's talk about that idea a little bit. The the because you 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 make the difference about how Buddhism is a is a embrace of the collective, whereas mm-hmm. psychotherapy is a is a world of the individual, if you will. So talk about that dynamic a little bit, if you will, and then we'll be able to talk a little bit more and talk about Lama and the connection with Martin and the like. Sure. I mean, it's it's one of the interesting areas of tension between the traditions of Buddhism and psychoanalysis, um, and and often I I hear some some edginess and some frustration from people in both camps <laughs> about about this difference. Right. And and the analytic tradition, there's there's a an almost exquisite appreciation for. How, how we specifically experience life, the nuances of how we develop and our relationship to each person in our family, our relationship to the environment that our family is in, our relationship to cultural culture, etc. And, and so the emphasis is really on that specificity of what each person goes through. Uh, and in a way, it it expresses a real appreciation for for our unique personhood, our subjectivity. A Buddhist approach to to healing wants to to really zoom out and have a look at 
more more universal pan-human experience, those common markers of our personhood. And that, of course, can be quite liberating, especially if we're feeling personally done to, right, or, or deeply ashamed by a personal struggle. It can be quite freeing to recognize that most people have some some similar form of that suffering. But what can happen is the the specificity of how the suffering is experienced is never quite addressed in in the spiritual practice or in the spiritual community. And so I have found it very helpful to have both right both perspectives come into conversation. That it, that it helps to get to know ourselves very specifically, but it also helps to disidentify with what we go through ultimately. Right. And, of course, that's, some, that's one, of the, one of the sort of hard spots that a lot of people struggle with, that, that, that business yeah. of that, that identification. And then there's the Buddhist idea of no solid self. There's, mm-hmm. So we need to take a break. Uh, Pilar, we're speaking with Pilar Jennings, Dr. Jennings. Who written a book called "To Heal a Wounded Heart: The Transformative Power of Buddhism and Psychotherapy in Action"? Please stay with us. You too, Pilar. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Sonoma Weather Report is brought to you by the Vintners at Vine Alley. The Vintners of Sonoma Vine Alley offer a variety of wines and experiences to allow you to relax, enjoy life, and not have to leave downtown Sonoma. Located on East Napa Street between Broadway and First Street East, the wineries include Passaggio, Fulcrum, McLaren, Westwood, Sonoma Loeb, Cahoon Galadia, Inkadoo, and Black Knight, all in one little alley. It's Thursday, January 11th, 2018. Thank you for listening to KSBY. Our weather outlook looks a little nicer than it has been. The humidity factor is lowering a bit. We've got partly cloudy, mostly sunny skies today. The high near 62 degrees with a south wind 3 to 5 miles per hour. Partly starry skies tonight. The low around 40 degrees. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday look for a lot of sunshine in the forecast. The high near 63 And welcome back to Health Matters, Dr. Ned Hoke today, joined by Dr. Pilar Jennings to heal a wounded heart, the transformative power of Buddhism and psychotherapy in action. And we're uh, stepping somewhat slowly and gingerly through this uh, very uh, erudite text. And Pilar so far has been very generous with me in terms of responding to my disorganized way of trying to sort of show what this this text really has to offer and I I, th- I think it I don't know I, I'd be curious I'd, I'd love to be in a group actually of people who sort of read this book people who were had a professional experience and some or or people who just had a lot of experience in the in the world of both Buddhism and psychology I'd love to hear people talk about how they hear what you're saying and how that it you know how that applies to them, and how do they do they feel that you've got a good grasp of this topic, or where are you somewhat deficient about this or that? Uh, because it's it seems to me that you've you've been very careful to get a uh, uh, this. You talked a moment about a moment ago about zooming out. You've been you've been able to zoom out pretty good, 
and and grab a great big swath swath excuse me of this of this potential of what's what's available in the the Buddhist pantheon as well as the psychoanalytic pantheon and so you're bringing a lot of uh, richness to this topic. So uh, moving on to the next uh, quote that I'm interested in having you read. Of course, I, I would like to talk a little bit before I do that about your own background. You're you're uh, in New York City. You're a New York City therapist. You mm-hmm. you had a frumpy middle-aged mother with frizzy hair and poor boundaries who talks about her sex life and dreams with strangers in the line at the grocery store. <laughs> and and you had a father that took you to the dentist in, in Westport, Connecticut. So there you had an interesting background. Tell us a little bit about that part of your story. Well, <laughs> I'm just imagining my mother's response to her being described as frumpy, and I, I, <laughs> I did associate in the book to many of her friends uh, who, <laughs> who I, I liked and I cared for, um, but therapists are notoriously comfortable talking about very private matters, right? And as a kid, I since I was a shy, introverted kid, I just did not care for it. <laughs> so I had no interest whatsoever uh, with her field, right? Um, but uh, my my parents have both been a big influence, um, in part because they were so so different in so many ways from each other. Uh, my my father uh, was born and raised in New York City during the Great Depression, uh, and like most people um, in in much of the country during that time, was struggling significantly and went through many many very painful early losses of siblings and his father. Uh, so he knew a lot of struggle early in life. My mother, conversely, uh, came from an affluent family uh, right outside of Lima, Peru, uh, was ethnically Jewish, uh, but sent to Catholic schools and had a very international upbringing and a very privileged upbringing, a very artistic one. And so their, you know, their, their cultural viewpoints and their upbringings were extremely different, as were their personalities. So I think from an early age, I, I just felt so curious about people <laughs> and how it was possible for, for those of us who were part of the same human family to exhibit such radical differences. Right, right. Yeah. But you, you also say that uh, by the time you were 14, you were reading uh, Frankel and Simone Weil, and, and it occurred to me early on that the pain resulting from vulnerability was a central theme in the human experience and something that I wished to understand. That's a very interesting sa- sentence. I mean, by the age of 14 that you, you, were, you, were, um, you were confronting um, your pain in a, in, a, in a sort of an elegant intellectual way at least. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, it, it's true. I, I was very interested in all of the suffering that I was seeing, in part because I I was suffering too. Uh, My parents had a a very sudden divorce, and and then my my mother and I lived in a macrobiotic community in Boston, (laughs) where Michio Kushi. Exactly. Were you in the Boston one, or were you out in Newton? 
No, I was in the Boston, in the okay. Boston houses. Okay, so well, I, 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 I visited the Newton houses. I didn't ever get to Boston, but I, 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 know, this, I know the story well. Okay, so you know the scene, and right. it was quite a scene. I right. think especially since I was a child, I, I was living with people who had very serious illness, right. many people who had cancer, many people who had very severe addiction. Right. Uh, and so I felt surrounded by extreme acute suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was also aware that, that my family was suffering. We were no longer living together. Uh, I could see that my mother was struggling. And so you know, suffering felt very present. Mm-hmm. So I, I did find myself wanting to, to think about it and, and explore it. Now, you... You soon on after that, you talk about you began to feel certain people never shake the experience of chronic vulnerability that many of us know from childhood. Then you mm-hmm. you identify yourself as a highly sensitive person, mm-hmm. and uh, that we had uh, the author of a book, the highly sensitive person, on our program uh, a number of years ago. It must have been ten or twelve years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about what a highly sensitive person is to you. I mean, and, and, and kind of give us a clinical view of it as well. There's, there's your version of it, and then there's, you might, so for our listeners' benefit, they might have a, have a sense about what it, you know, what it might look like in an ordinary, in the ordinary person. What is, what is, what is it, what does it feel like from inside, and then what does it look like from the outside, I guess is what I'm really asking. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think I think we can see it pretty easily in children, right? Some children are very very easily overstimulated. They're easily frightened, right? They're um, they're they're easily in need of of shelter and and quiet spaces. Whereas other children need need the stimulation. They get bored easily, um, and and that was always true of me. That I, I was easily overwhelmed by by environments and other children and loud noises and the too muchness the mm-hmm. way i experienced the too muchness of life mm-hmm. and i was very aware of it as i was developing into adulthood that challenging conversations had a profound lingering impact right or restaurants that were very noisy or lights that were too bright I, I was very sensitive, mm-hmm. and I think it was probably 10 or 12 years ago when I went to w- one of the annual um, uh, psychology conferences and was learning more about highly sensitive people and felt strongly identified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to, to be highly sensitive is not a problem. In fact, it can be quite a, a lovely capacity, a gift even, right? right? Because if, if we're highly sensitive, we can be with others as well. <laughs> it's just a matter of whether or not we have the right conditions <laughs> in order to survive that, that tendency. And, I, and I, I guess part of what I'm wanting our listeners to hear and is that, is that the, 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 the frank, outright acceptance of the fact of highly sensitive people is kind of one piece of it. And there's, 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 the, there's a, you know, there's the sort of cultural thing that sort of the vo- the advice is just toughen up, you know, mm-hmm. you know, man up or you know whatever the phrase for a woman would be, you know, uh, and and there's there's a lot of talk like that, and 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 for people who can't do that or or 
or they, they feel they can't, whatever. There, there's a whole lot of people who then are highly sensitive, and yet they don't get identified properly, either for right. w- within their own mind or within those who are around them. And so they go through life battered and bruised and, and, and deeply sort of held in, as you describe, your, your patient. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's one of the sort of the big ones that you you level your gaze at in this book and mm-hmm. you really let us know that there's a different way of, of by accepting this highly sensitive space and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth but by, but by embracing it in a, in a wholeness sort of way and, yeah. and that there's a, there really is another way of living in the world and, and, and not having that be such a, a um, sort of a negative part a negative as, as part of our existence in the world I guess I think you'd say Yes, I, no, I think that's beautifully put, and it, it is interesting because people who are highly sensitive often find those spaces in spiritual and religious community where, where often uh, the space is held right, more, more consistently for contemplation, right, for, for communion with others, with the transcendent. Um, and of course, we can cultivate that in our personal lives and and at home. Um, but often we need some help, right? right? We we right. need some some tools so that we know how to do that for ourselves and for others. On the on the page XX one V, in the middle of the paragraph, like the existential analysts. Mm-hmm. And it goes down. It ends at <coughs> against. Uh, yes. Okay. Shall I read it? Yep. Okay. Like the existential analysts, I wish to find a way to incorporate and tend to our deeper longing for meaning and our gnawing fears of impermanence. And most importantly, I wanted to help repair and support the vulnerability that is our most natural state a state we all know from childhood and so often spend the rest of our lives defending against. Wow, that's an, another one of those big mouthfuls of ideas there. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, that's, that's the world you're in, so that's mm-hmm. no, no surprise that you'd be able to do it, but it, it's, it's nicely put. And the, 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 the fears of impermanence, of course, is, is that's when, in my work, when people come in and we work on things for a while and they sometimes it sort of slips out of the corner of their mouth you know I really am afraid of dying yeah you know I'm really afraid of leaving this place I'm afraid of um, but, but you know there's this I mean so fear is this giant giant elephant in the room in so many people's lives mm-hmm. and again one of the really for me the joyous parts of what you share with us in this in this book and you share with us as a human possibility is is that we don't have to live alone with that fear right we we don't you know it doesn't have to be just our private secret you know and uh and so you've done this wonderful thing with this this person so now on the next page Mm -hmm. in the middle of the next paragraph is under Anne's mentorship and ending with why okay um yes um, under Anne's mentorship, and Anne, Anne Yulinov was my, my doctoral advisor at, right. at Union Theological Seminary, right. I found myself able to name what had been gestating in my prior studies, that the human condition is both more knowable and transcendent than we typically imagine. 
that this combination of unwavering curiosity about what can be known and consciously reflected upon, along with reverence for what can only be felt, suffered through, or risked, was central to enlivening clinical work. In order to be well, we need to feel deeply and directly, but equally we need to be able to think about what we have felt and why. Another, lots of challenges there in, in, mm-hmm. in, and, uh, in that particular group of words. Um, so is there anything more to say about that that should be, because I, th- I think that there's, it's such, yeah. such a rich group of ideas. Thank you. Well, I mean, one of the reasons why, why I addressed that in the book was that in, in both psychotherapy and in Buddhism, there's, there's a real appreciation for the need to directly experience ourselves to just walk right into our feelings, to, to really open our awareness to whatever, whatever we're experiencing in a non-conceptual way. Mm-hmm. But equally, both traditions appreciate that we then need to be able to reflect upon what we've become aware of, that it's, it's so important to feel directly our longing, our anger, our, our desires, our, our fears. But then we can really make meaning from those, those feelings if we're able to, to think about them. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a common theme in both traditions, even though many people think of Buddhism as being a method for letting thoughts go. You know, the, the original Buddhist Shakyamuni felt strongly that we we do need to be able to use our our intellect skillfully to to really mine insight from what we become aware of and and freud obviously felt similarly mm-hmm. we need to take another break uh, pilar i hope you'll stay with us a few more minutes and give sure. our and give our audience a chance to maybe call in if anybody has a thought or they want to give us a call or call in is is that may i may i do that pilar may i Absolutely. may i invite okay Call in, call in people if you want to uh, visit with Pilar or make a statement about what we're talking about. Please feel free to give us a call if, if you're on topic, 707-933-9133. In the meantime, we'll be back with you in just a moment. Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by the Tina Schoen Group, located at Sotheby's International Realty, Krista Grant Insurance Services, Body Best Collision Center, Zeller's Insurance, and Sonoma Hills Retirement Community. This health moment is brought to you in part by Sonoma Valley Hospital. It's not uncommon to develop aches and pains as we age. When the pain isn't acute, we often choose to live with it, which is not always the best idea. Most will go away naturally after a period of time, but some pains can become chronic if untreated. If you are experiencing persistent aches or pains, it's a good idea to have them checked by your physician. Welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hope today sharing the hour with Dr. Pilar Jennings and her wonderful new book called To To Heal a Wounded Heart, The Transformative Power of Buddhism and Psychotherapy in Action. So, Pilar, um, I've... I was so enchanted with what you were revealing to the public in your introduction. I got obviously you could see I'm sort of stuck in in some of that places, and I want you to have a chance to 
talk a little bit more now about um, uh, Kemp, uh, Kempo Wang Dok and sure. that person and talk about how this person came into your life and also how much this person meant to you and how that person came in to work with yourself and your clients. Sure. So when I was a, a graduate student, um, I needed to take several foreign language exams, and my advisor, Ann Yulinov, uh, wisely recommended that I take a Tibetan language exam. Wow. Yeah. I thought <laughs> it was a terrible idea. Right. <laughs> because I'm not a strong language learner, um, but I, I relented and I started looking for someone um, and I discovered that at Tibet House, which is a wonderful local Tibetan cultural center here in New York City, um, a Buddhist monk named Lama Pema Wangduk was having a, an evening of Q&A about, about Buddhism and so I went to it, and while I was there, discovered that he also teaches Tibetan language. And so he he began teaching me over the course of uh, the following year um, the the rudimentary <laughs> steps toward learning Tibetan language. Wow! But in that process, we we ended up spending quite a bit of time together, in part because I really was such a, a terrible language student, and because he was also such an open person and very curious about psychology. I was obviously very, very curious about Buddhism, and so we just spontaneously found ourselves having lots of conversations about uh, how these traditions understand the human condition their differences and we were also reflecting on our our own history our own childhoods and and how our experiences were relevant to the the insights and the healing methods found in these two traditions and and looking at what you've written about that this was a very intimate process that you had with lama pema and in i mean i'm not suggesting anything other than that the 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 sort of revelatory exchange that you seem to have, and also then by bringing him into your practice, uh, that of course um, is is part of the story. Is or, or it's a, it, it, you, or that is you make a big part, or not necessarily a big part in terms of space, but a, a, there is a big meaning there in terms of bringing together the actual presence of the Lama and yourself with, 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 with regard to this one client that you worked with. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that in terms of what it was that brought you to bring this fine gentleman into this practice and, and then tell some stories about what that was like and how, what, how it made a difference for the work that you were able to do with this young lady. Cause it, and, of course, the, the story is utterly delightful in terms of the, uh, for our listeners who maybe will be able to get the book and be able to look at it and, because it's a very lively conversation that you're having but at the same time you're very purposeful at least at, as you as you way you write it you're very purposeful about the 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 time that you're spending with this 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 person this young person mm-hmm. and also maybe we should say also a word about the Harlem place that you, you I don't know if you still work there but you in the book that you you were working there and in kind of how this person, what, what, who this person was culturally. So that, that's a lot of questions all at once, but 
sure. Take, take what you can, if you would. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, in terms of Lama Pema, I mean, uh, he's he's just a wonderfully down to earth, um, very very human Buddhist teacher, and so all of his students appreciate um, how how emotionally accessible he is. Um, very humble, very direct, uh, and and very available to cultivate a, a feeling of friendship with. Mm-hmm. And um, because of my studies and because of his interests, we, we were having these very compelling conversations, often focused on childhood. And at that time, I was also doing my analytic training at the Harlem Family Institute, uh, which is a, a wonderful psychoanalytic institute here in New York City that is um, geared toward bringing psychoanalysis to, to people who, who are not typically cared for analytically. Right. Uh, including children of color uh, and marginalized parents and incarcerated parents. Um, and so I was, I was processing my experience with multiple children at that time. And I was particularly compelled by, by this one child with whom I felt very identified. Um, and it occurred to me that some of her losses, because she had many losses, were in some ways similar to Lama Pema's losses when he was a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he fled the, Tibet during the Chinese invasion, and um, you know, as a six-year-old, went to a refugee camp in in India, and then was sent to a refugee school. Wow. So a lot of turbulence and early loss. And it started to occur to me that he might he might be someone she could connect with, someone she could find her herself in. Mm-hmm. So I made the unconventional decision to invite him to a session and and see what that might be like. Right. And do you want to say more about that? Maybe in a synopsis form. I mean, it, it obviously went on, and there's probably many things that one could say, and you do in the book. Mm-hmm. But I think that you, you, at least what I read you saying anyway, was that the the nature of the the, the nature and quality of the mind of this teacher mm-hmm. was the. Well, was the was the fellowship well, the, the fellowship that you just described in terms of the, the common history of, of of loss and that kind of thing, but also the sort of loving kindness yeah. way of being in the world, being being in the room, and and you mm-hmm. you make that point very uh, plainly that and, and one of the joys of the book actually is you're 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 good at creating the space of the feeling of what you know the moment that you're writing about so that. Mm. We get to see it sit in that tiny room with you and Lama Pema and and your client Martine, mm-hmm. and we can feel at least what you're able to share with us in terms of the feelings that that come from the presence of people dealing with feelings which are so. This, this is not a, a you know this is not an intellectual process. Mm-hmm. This is a process of of uh, human animals if you will mm-hmm. but human animals using consciousness and, and right you know right right mindedness if you will so mm-hmm. but but you're able to do that in the book in such a way that it it feels like oh 
you know, to at least for me, that it felt like, oh, oh, yeah, you could you could do it that way. I mean, and and you could actually just do you could do a lot of the work with with presence. You didn't have to do it with technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, appreciate appreciate what you're saying, and and it's true. That's I think that's what I was discovering that. This work really calls for for the willingness to to arrive as fully as possible in whatever's unfolding in a treatment. And clinicians know this, especially very devoted clinicians know that you have to let your theory go, and then you have to to find a way to to be changed by what's happening. And that only that only develops if you're if you're willing to really arrive with vulnerability, with presence of mind, with with openness of heart, and then be impacted by the experience. That's a pretty big challenge as far as I'm concerned. We only have a few more minutes and so I don't I, I want to be able to, to wrap this up with the with the postscript which you call fresh wounds. So sure. let's let's start right with the, the beginning of that could it be possible? and go down to undo us. Okay. Could it be possible that over time, with enough therapy, meditation, and occasional good fortune, the open vein of childhood might heal once and for all? Might the traumas we suffer be fully resolved and the issues they raise closed? Throughout my own slog into adulthood and the countless hours spent with Martine and my other patients, it had seemed that this is what many of us secretly hope for, a way to feel reborn into fundamentally better circumstances, where affection for oneself and others flows freely, a place where suffering no longer has the power to undo us. Wow. <laughs> what, a, what, a wish to, what a wish for a dream that is. <laughs> you know, it's I, a compelling fantasy. It's a compelling fantasy, exactly. But now... But unfortunately, this this gets this 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 story goes on in this chapter. So we're we're talking about your father's death. Mm-hmm. So, and we're talking about you transitioning through the process of that, and how your all of your good works and all of your hopeful theoretical constructs of some of the things we've been talking about were put to the challenge. So in your own way, tell us that story, if you would, and kind of recognizing that we're, like I say, we're just almost toward the end. So say what you choose to about that, if you would. Sure. Well, I I shared the story of my my father's death in part because it was was such a a profound shock for me. He, He was going in for what was supposed to be a a minor outpatient procedure. He was asymptomatic, living a good life. And he came out of the procedure. We shared a chicken sandwich, and we were making reservations for dinner when suddenly he started to feel tired. And and then he died about an hour later. And I was with him, and it was uh, an extraordinarily shocking experience that I could never have anticipated. And as you can imagine, the fallout of that experience was also extremely challenging for me. And I just found myself um, appreciating with new depths 
what I had been learning in Buddhism and in psychoanalysis. I, I was really feeling feeling held even as I was falling apart, feeling grief-stricken and enraged by the shock of it. And Lama Pema and, and a kindly therapist were there to remind me that healing doesn't mean that we won't suffer future losses, right? It is part of the human condition to be vulnerable, but that it is, it is possible right, to really cultivate a part of ourselves that can hold us in that experience. And, and that's why I shared the story of my father's death. And the last reading I'm going to ask is the, the on page uh, 198, the very mm-hmm. bottom of the page, start with but and, and end with ourselves. Okay. But what I have found in the healing work of therapy and Buddhism is a way to consciously know about these hooks. Is that where you'd like me to start? Yeah. Mm-hmm to name them, and to go about seeking the people and places who will contribute, who will not contribute to recreating the pain of hiddenness, to find the places where one can be truly invited in. Most importantly, these traditions suggest that this experience of being fully welcomed can be cultivated within oneself. This is the ethical ground of healing the ability to compassionately and courageously receive oneself, including the unseemly parts, the parts we wish were not so. Like a gracious host, we can gather the fullness of who we are. Then slowly, slowly, we can do this for others because we've done the hard work of doing it for ourselves. Thank you, uh, Pilar, for spending this time with us. This has been a, a, a great treat for me to walk through these places with you in this book and to reinvigorate my own delight and satisfaction and and, and joy in in hearing the the tales uh, that I'm familiar with, but sometimes myself need to be reminded. So thank you for spending the time with us on Health Matters Radio, and we wish you very great uh, success with this book and all that you do in the future. Thank you so much, Ned. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Splendid. Goodbye now. Take good care. All right. Bye. Bye. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen. If you cannot pacify your spirit and you let your mind be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. To be healthy, you must avoid anger and worry. Keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's the basic guidance of the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine. That's the basic book of Chinese medicine. And Health Matters motto still is, health care isn't a noun. It's a verb. Tune us in again next week. We'll be having a conversation with a physician about pain. So we'll see you then. 